There's a certain pattern in Luke's gospel and its sequel, the book of Acts, that repeats itself over and over again. First, God acts. Second, people respond. God promises Mary that she will have a child. Mary responds by running to tell Elizabeth. Jesus appears on the road to Emmaus. The disciples respond by going back to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's poured out at Pentecost. The church responds by speaking God's promises in new languages. Over and over again, God acts, people respond. So what Luke is trying to do is not just show us what God does. He's also trying to show us what people do. And so it is with today's gospel reading. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath when a woman shows up with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. Luke says that she was bent over and unable to stand up straight. Now notice we're given no information about this woman other than her condition. We don't know her name. We don't know anything about her family. We don't know how old she is. We don't know anything about her life other than her condition. Sometimes when people read this story, they'll complain that Luke describes her this way. But what Luke is trying to do is show us how her neighbors viewed her. She's been reduced down, essentialized to her condition. Who is she? Well, she's the bent-over woman. What else is there to know about her? That is her defining characteristic, her essence as a person. There's a gap between how the woman understands herself and the ways her community actually views her. Luke wants to show us how the language we often use to describe people shapes how we view them as people. Language isn't just, just descriptive, it actually changes the way we engage with the people around us. Think for a minute about something like homelessness. So often the language we use in church is something like the homeless or homeless people. We speak as if this one descriptor is exhaustive of this person's life. And as a result, we assume it's just normal for this person to be homeless. They are a homeless person, after all. But if we change our language a little bit, if we say person experiencing homelessness or person who's unhoused, now the way we see them changes in some way. Because now I see the problem is not them, it's the situation they're in. I know it's easy to deride this kind of thing as a bunch of politically correct language policing. But even the way we use that phrase reveals the power language has. When we define our identities and say how we want to be addressed by other people, we say it's a matter of respect. When people who aren't like us do it, we say, this is just a bunch of PC correctness. We might roll our eyes at being asked to say persons who are unhoused instead of the homeless. But think about it in terms of today's gospel reading. If you were introduced to someone living with MS, and the person who introduced you to them called them crippled, you would be understandably upset. And you wouldn't say this person needs to be more PC. You'd say they need to see other people like people. That's what Luke is getting at. What Luke wants us to see is the way this community has reduced this woman down to her diagnosis. And if the language Luke uses to do that makes you uncomfortable, that means you're paying attention. So to get back to our God acts, people respond thing, 
How does Jesus act? Well, he interrupts his sermon, walks over to the woman, and says, Woman, you are free from your ailment. It happens in just a few words. The whole thing is pretty straightforward. But pay attention to what Jesus says to her when he does it. You are freed from your ailment. Jesus doesn't say you are fixed. Jesus doesn't say you are whole. Jesus doesn't say you're normal now. Jesus frees her from her ailment, but he doesn't free her from herself. So often when we read these stories of Jesus healing people, we think of them as Jesus taking broken people and making them acceptable to God again. As if people's illness, their mental health, their housing status, addiction, whatever else, is separating them from God. And they can't be loved or nurtured by God unless Jesus fixes them. It's a very sloppy way to read scripture. And it's not what Jesus is doing in this story at all. Instead, Jesus is saying that the experience of this woman's suffering is worth his time. It's worth paying attention to. It's worth interrupting what he had planned. So how does God act? God does what God always does. God deals with suffering. God sees us as worth the effort. But how do the people in the synagogue respond? This is the interesting part of this story. Because we have two very different responses. First, we have the synagogue leader. And he responds by taking issue with what Jesus is doing. He's very upset by this whole thing. And notice, he doesn't oppose the act of healing itself. He would probably say he is pro-lifting up women with ailments. You know, some of his best friends are women with ailments. He takes issue with the way it's being done. There are six days on which work ought to be done, he says. So come on one of those days and be cured. The important word here is ought, which means necessity. What he's really saying is this whole thing is not necessary. If she's been like this for 18 years, then surely she can put up with another day. This is one common way that people respond to God's action in the world. One way people respond to the movement of the Holy Spirit. Whenever there's been any movement in our church, our country, our communities for inclusion, equity, and progress, this has been a constant refrain. Someone says, you know, this is a good idea, but do you know what would make it a truly great idea? Doing it later. Now, usually people dress it up in more self-righteous language than that. They feign concern about backlash. They fret about the culture changing too fast. They say they think it's a good idea, but you have to worry about what other people will think. But at the end of the day, they all do the same thing. They see someone's problem and they think, I don't have to deal with this right now, so I won't deal with it at all. We treat our own problems as urgent, and we treat other people's problems as extracurricular. You can only talk that way when you don't see other people the way you see yourself. You see them as somehow less deserving or less worthy or less good. And sometimes it's literally about how you see them. It's not a coincidence that because the woman in today's story can only see the ground, the synagogue leader never has to look her in the eyes. When you don't have to deal with the humanity of this person, it's very easy to tell them to come back tomorrow. And it's a lot harder to say that to people when you have to look at them eye to eye. But how do the people in the crowd respond to God? 
They respond the other way. They rejoice. They respond the same day, the same way the woman does. And pay attention to something else here. How does Jesus introduce the woman to the crowd at the end of the story? When we were first introduced to her in the story, she was the woman with a spirit that had crippled her for years. But when Jesus reintroduces her, he calls her a daughter of Abraham, just basically calling her a child of God. And what Jesus is showing them is that she's always been a child of God. That even when they just thought she was the bent-over woman, she was someone who was precious in God's sight. What's different now is that everybody in that room knows it. She was, for all of those 18 years, when everyone said that she wasn't entitled to the same position in the community as they were. So who ends up being healed in this story? Well, the woman, obviously. But it's also the people in the crowd who rejoice. Because Jesus is showing them things they've never seen before. It's like suddenly the whole world is opened up and it's overflowing with abundance. Because when you see people the way Jesus does, suddenly these people become filled with gifts. These people they thought were just statistics or problems are actually people who bring the grace and love of God into the world. If we as the church are called to point people to God's work, if we're called to be an instrument working for peace and justice, if we're called to be a foretaste of the city of God, then we need everyone's gifts. There's too much hatred in the world for us to equivocate on people's worth. There's too much cynicism in our church to give in to hopelessness. And there's too much despair in our communities to tell people to come back tomorrow. Whenever we push people away and tell them to come back another day, Christ says they are necessary. And so are we all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.